Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Hilchais Shabbos Perek Arba Esrim, the 24th chapter in the laws of Shabbos. The Ramam has gone through the 39 malachas, the creative activities we cannot engage in on Shabbos. He's taught us their derivatives. We've in the last three chapters covered activities that are similar in nature to or might lead one to violate one of these prohibited activities. In this chapter and in the two that follow, the Rambam will teach us other activities that our rabbis forbade us from engaging in on Shabbos. There are certain things that our rabbis say we cannot engage in on Shabbos. Now these are not activities that are similar in nature to any of the 39 malachas. They will not lead one to violate any of the malachas, so why can't you do them? The answer is that it says, you, How do you keep Shabbos? You have to restrain your feet because it's my Shabbos. Restrain yourself from pursuing my desires. And the sentence continues, which means, how do you honor Shabbos? By not following your ordinary ways, by not attending to your desires, by not speaking about your regular activities. Therefore, you are not allowed to tend to your weekday business on Shabbos or even talk about it. What you're going to buy, what you're going to sell, how you're going to build, how you're going to transport the merchandise. Your speech cannot be spoken. Thinking, you can think. Here are some examples. You cannot visit your real estate just to see how it's faring or how the crop is doing. You can't walk to the tchum. The tchum means there's a certain uh, <clears throat> distance beyond which one is not allowed to walk on Shabbos. So you walk up to there on Shabbos. This way you get a head start on your business trip. Your business trip, if it's for a forbidden purpose, to pay your workers, to harvest the produce, you cannot get a head start on that trip on Shabbos. But halacha gimel, you can get a head start and walk the, the, to this distance if the purpose of your journey is a permitted one or it could be permitted somehow. So for instance, to guard your produce, you're allowed to guard your produce on Shabbos, so you can get a head start on that and walk the distance uh, until the end of the tchum. If you want to get your animal, you're not picking it out of the ground, you, want to call, you can call it with your voice. You can pick produce that has already been harvested. It can be surrounded by partitions and it can be carried. So the same applies to talking on Shabbos, talking about a journey. If theoretically... There were huts along the way. You'd be able to take the journey. So you can talk about anything that theoretically could be engaged in on Shabbos. In the same way, uh, you can hint to forbidden things. On Shabbos, you can tell your workers, come stand near me tonight. So long as you don't tell them what you'd stand near me and we're going to pick the produce together, then uh, that would be forbidden as long as you don't articulate it. Also, you should not run or skip on Shabbos. We are told, from doing your normal, regular activities, which your walk, the way you walk during the weekday, don't walk or skip on Shabbos. You can go down a pit or come out of a pit, even if it's a hundred amas deep, and you cannot engage on idle talk, your regular conversation has to be different on Shabbos. It has to be a Shabbos type of speech. Halacha hey. But for a mitzvah, to run to shul, to run to learn Torah, to make calculations of the measurements of a mitzvah, to figure out if a mikveh is kosher, if a garment has, can contract uh, impurity, uh, how much the poor should receive, that you can do. Indeed, anything related to a mitzvah, going to a theater or a hall of the Gentiles, which is going to help the public, you need to make that trip, arranging a shidduch, a match for someone, arranging a child to study, to study Torah, to study a profession, visiting the sick, comforting the mourners. You can go to the edge of the majority of where you, the distance 
the maximum distance you can travel on Shabbos. Wait there so that you can immediately deal with those needs, whether it's the needs of a bride, the needs of the deceased, they need to get coffins and shrouds. When you visit the sick on Shabbos, what you say is Shabbos Himalizik, Shabbos prevents me from pleading on your behalf, and I wish you a speedy recovery. May it come soon. You can even tell a person who's dealing with these mitzvahs, go here, bring it here. If you don't get it for 100, you can get it for 200. So long as you don't specify the exact amount of the purchase price, you can do that because it's involved in a mitzvah. You can go out on a boat on Friday for a mitzvah. You have to ask the captain to stop on Shabbos. If he doesn't stop, that's okay. It's his problem, not yours. You can annul a vow on Shabbos, whether it's Shabbos related or not, because that's, you have one day, a father or a husband has one day to annul the vow of their daughter or wife. You can go to a chacham, to a wise sage, to annul a vow, but only if it's related to matters of Shabbos. Even if you could have annulled it before Shabbos, but now you're allowed to annul it on Shabbos, but only if it's matters relating to Shabbos. Otherwise, you can go to him after Shabbos. Halacha Zayin, the Bezdin, the court, is forbidden from handing out any punishments on Shabbos. Capital punishments or malchus, lashes, even though it's a positive mitzvah for them to engage in these activities. It does not override Shabbos. The Torah tells us, You're not allowed to burn, have anything burning in any of your homes on Shabbos. And since one of the ways that the Bezdin, the court, hands out capital punishment is through a burning Therefore, it includes all the other punishments that the Bezdin were to hand out, that the court were to hand out. They are forbidden from being handed out on Shabbos. Halachachas. You can guard produce, whether the produce is attached or detached. You can shout at someone who's coming to get your produce. You can hit the person, push them aside, whether it's an animal or any human being who comes to take it. I, why? So, because... You're not adding anything. You're not doing anything. It's just like you're allowed to lock your front door from thieves. You're allowed to protect your property. You can't go and engage in new business, but you're allowed to protect your property that's already there. Halacha tes. When it comes to protecting your produce from birds or cucumbers and squash from wild animals, you cannot clap or jump as you normally would because you might, that may lead to throwing stones at them. You might come thrown sto- to throw stones, and once you throw a stone for Amos in a Rishos Harabim, that would be a biblical prohibition. Halacha Yud, all these things we've been mentioning in these chapters, this entire chapter we talk about what you can do and cannot do, that only applies on Shabbos itself. But Bein Hashmashas, remember that twilight zone between when the sun is setting on Friday and between when the three stars come out, if it's connected to a mitzvah or if there's a pressing need, you're allowed to engage in the activity. So for example, you can go up a tree, it's a rabbinic prohibition, you can swim. It's a rabbinic prohibition to get a lulav or a shofar on this, during this Ben Hashmashas period. You can take down an Erev off a tree or out of a Carmelist. We'll learn about that when we get to the laws of Erev. Anything you're nervous or anxious about, if it's rabbinically prohibited, you're allowed to do it Ben Hashmashas during this time period. If it's without a pressing need and there's no mitzvah involved, then you're not allowed to. Therefore, says Rama, you cannot take masa, you cannot tithe your fruit on Shabbos. You, um, because in so doing, you are actually fixing the fruit. We just learned that in the previous chapters. You're not allowed to fix the fruit. It was, it's unedible if you haven't taken off the tithing. Once you take off the tithing, you've now created edible fruit, and you're not allowed to do that on Shabbos, or you're not allowed to do that even during this Bein this twilight 
period. However, if it's demai, demai means produce of which you're not certain, demai, you're not sure, have the tithings been taken off of it? Because there's a good chance that it has been taken off and you're allowed to use the demai under many circumstances to give to the poor. Therefore, you'd be allowed to, during this Bain Hashmashas period, this twilight zone, you'd be allowed to take off the tithings because it might have been taken off anyway. You're not necessarily creating something that is new. Halacha yud alaf. If a child performs a rabbinic prohibition on Shabbos, anything that's rabbinically prohibited, he pulls off a leaf uh, from a flower pot, and the flower pot does not have holes in it. From the Torah, you're only obligated if it's from the ground. Here, it's a flower pot without holes. It's not connected to the ground. Or if he carries in a caramelist, which is a rabbinically prohibited public domain, the bez in the court is not obligated to stop him, and you don't have to rebuke the father for allowing his kid to do it. The Rambam now concludes this chapter by giving us an introduction to what is called muksa. Muksa means things that are set aside. There are certain things that we cannot move on Shabbos. They are set aside. And the sages prohibited us to move certain things on Shabbos. And there are three reasons for this. Reason number one is a kalvachomer, which means if you're not allowed to speak the way you speak in the weekday, and you're not allowed to uh, speak that way, Otherwise, Shabbos is going to become a weekday for him. It's just going to be a regular day. How much more so can you not move things that you would normally move in a weekday? Because if we let you move things around, you know what you're going to do on Shabbos? You're going to start rearranging your home, fixing things up, tidying things around, arranging the house, storing things. You won't have rested. The Torah says, Leman Yonuach. You have to rest on Shabbos. Reason number two is, this is Halacha Yudgimel, by touching certain things that are used in prohibited activities, you might actually come to use them. If you move around the pen, you might come to write with it, etc., etc. That's another reason there are certain things we cannot move on Shabbos. And the final reason is because there are certain people who are unemployed, they spend their days touring around, sitting around outdoors, wasting their time, not doing much, and their Shabbos, if we allow them to just engage as they do all Shabbos long, their Shabbos wouldn't look any different than the weekday. Therefore, our sages prohibited the movement of certain things to make it Shabbos for them. Therefore, they allowed us only to move things on Shabbos that you actually need for Shabbos. This is the Ramam's introduction to the laws of Muktzah, and now we're going to venture forth in the next chapter, 25, Chamisha Esrim in the laws of Muktzah. So let's get some definitions down pat. Halacha Aleph. Definition number one is a Kli Shemalachtoi Leheter, which means items that are designated for permissible use. A cup, a plate, a knife to cut the meat or the bread, a nutcracker, those are activities that are permitted on Shabbos. The utensils and the, ut- and the vessels, the kalim, used to do those per- permitted activities are called Kli, kli Shemalachtoi Leheter. Definition number two, this is halacha beis, that are klisha malachta iser, a vessel that's designated for something which is forbidden to do on Shabbos. For instance, a grinder, you can't grind on Shabbos. A mill, you can't mill things down on Shabbos. So what are the laws about these items? Halacha gimel. Now, there are three reasons you would move something on Shabbos. Okay, either you want to use it for any purpose, you want to use the space that it occupies, or you want to protect the item itself. So now, if it's a klisha malachti laheter, it's an item designated for a permissible use, a cup, a plate like that, then you're allowed to move it for all three reasons. If it's an item designated for a forbidden use on Shabbos, no matter what they're made of, in both cases, they can be made of any material, then you're allowed to move it if you need to use it. You're allowed to move it to occupy if you need to occupy, you want to occupy, you want to use the space that it's occupying, but you cannot move it for protecting, protecting the item. So here, let the Ramam gives an example. A plate, you can use it. You can use its plate. 
you can make sure it doesn't get stolen, doesn't get ruined in the sun, you can, uh, from the rain, you can move it for any purpose. But halacha, hey, what about a mill or a grinder? You can move it if you need to crack open a nut, that's a permissible activity. You can use it if you want to use it as a stepping stool. You can sit in its, the space that it's occupying, but you cannot, you cannot move it if you want to save it from being stolen. Halacha vav. Items that don't have the halachic definition of a utensil, like keli. They're, they're not processed or for whatever other reason, they're not a utensil, they're not a keli, they don't have that designation. For instance, stones, money, reeds, beams, earth, sand, a corpse, those cannot be moved, period. So a large stone, even if it takes 10 people to move it, if it's been designated as a utensil, then you can move it. If it has not, you cannot. Doors. Doors of a home, even though they are processed, they are made as utensils, they are not meant to be used on their own. So if they're detached, they're just a plank of wood and they cannot be moved. A baby that's born, who was born in the eighth month, remember we've learned this about a bris, that it's a very, baby born in the eighth month from a halachic standpoint doesn't have a chance of survival. We said we, usually we don't know today when the baby, when the eighth month is, etc., etc. So it has the same halachic status vis-a-vis Shabbos as a corpse. And it doesn't have, it's not a utensil, it's not something which is usable for any purpose. Halacha zayin. Now, once it is a vessel and you can move it, you can move it for all sorts of different purposes. So the Raman gives us the, final, the, the following examples. He says, you can use a hammer to crack nuts. You can use a hatchet to uh, cut figs. You can use a saw to cut cheese. You can r- use a rake to collect figs. Or you can use a shovel or a pitchfork to feed a child. You can use a spindle or a shuttle to pierce things. You can use sack, a sackcloth needle as a key. You can use a millstone as a, to sit on. Those are all different things. Once you can use them, you can use them for any purpose that's permissible. So for instance, you can use a needle to remove a splinter. But if the top is broken off or the tip is broken off, it's no longer a usable vessel. It's now just like a stone. If the needle doesn't have an eye yet, it still can be moved. It's still a vessel of sorts. It's sometimes used, so you can move it. While we, while we said that you can move all vessels, it's true, if those items, if those vessels, that you are very, you're very careful with them, they're merchandise you're going to sell. They're very expensive items. You're worried about ruining them. Then they're muksa. They're set aside. And they're called muksa machmas chisarin kis. They're muksa. They're set aside because you, you really feel that there's a financial loss here. Therefore, you've set them aside in your mind before Shabbos. You're not allowed to move them. Example, the Rambam's examples he gives are a large saw, a, a knife that's used for plowing at the end of the plower, a butcher's knife, a knife of people working with hides, carpenters, sander, a mortar to, to grind spices. Those are very, people are very delicate. They care about those items very, very much. They only use them in for them, make sure that they use them and therefore they're set aside. You cannot use them on Shabbos. Here's another category of items that are prohibited to move. These are items that were forbidden. Bain hashmashes. This is halacha yud. That means in this twilight zone, if something was prohibited at that point in time, it remains prohibited throughout Shabbos. So for example, a candle that's burning, a menorah with a burning candle on it, table with money on it. Even if the flame is now out, the money's not on the table anymore. By virtue of the fact that they were forbidden, to move, they were muksa, they were set aside, they were, when Shabbos came in, they remained forbidden to move the entire Shabbos.
Another category is a keli that is disgusting. It's repulsive. An old lamp of neft oil, a dish used for excrement. Though it's something you think it's set aside, Ich, I'm not going to use that on Shabbos. It's disgusting. Says the Ramam, it still remains permitted if you want to use it on Shabbos. Halacha Yudbeis, doors, doors, doors on vessels, so the door of a box, that can be moved. It fell off on or before Shabbos, you can still move it because it was part of the vessel. Likewise, the vessels themselves, if they broke on or before Shabbos, they can be moved so long as the pieces that broke off can still are fit for use. So for example, pieces of a kneading bowl, the Ramam says, can act as a cover for a bottle. Uh, broken pieces of glass, they can still be used to cover a small jug. If they can't be used for anything once they break, then you cannot move them. They're not a keli, they're not a usable utensil on Shabbos. The covers of vessels can also be moved, again, so long as they're considered a viable utensil on their own. So, for example, if there's a container buried in the ground or a pit or a storage tank in the ground, if their covers have a handle, that demonstrates that they are a usable vessel, utensil, keili on their own, and they're permissible to move on Shabbos. The cover of an oven, this is an oven that was uh, partly submerged in the ground, there, even if it doesn't have a handle, it can be moved. It's obvious that that cover is a utensil usable for Shabbos. Now let's say, halacha yudal, you have two items. One permissible item to move, and one item that's forbidden to move. And they're placed such that by moving one, you're automatically going to move the other. They're on top of each other, they're next to each other, whatever it is. Even though one's going to move the other, that doesn't, doesn't change anything. If you want to move the forbidden item, if you want to move, sorry, if you want to move the permissible item, even though you can't move it without moving the forbidden item, that's okay. And if you want to move the forbidden item, the fact that it's connected somehow to a permissible item doesn't give you the ability to move it. So here's an example. Halacha tezavol, the Rabbim gives us an example. You have a fig. It's put in straw. That was the way they would get it to ripen. So the fig is permitted. The straw is forbidden to move. Or you have a cookie that's on a coal. The cookie is permitted. The coal is forbidden. It's not a lit coal. Okay, you have a turnip or a radish in the ground with their leaves protruding. You can move the fig, the cookie, or the vegetable, the turnip or the radish, out, even though the straw or the coal or the earth will move. Fine. But if the other way around, let's say there's an infant or a stone, uh, there's, there's an infant on a stone or a beam, the infant you can move, and the stone or beam you can't, the fact that the infant's there doesn't permit you to move the beam of the stone. So they each are independent entities. You can move the permissible item even though the forbidden item will move and you cannot move the forbidden item even though the permissible item will move. Halacha tes zayin. You can lift up a child who wants to be held even though he has a stone in his hand. If he has money in his hand, you shouldn't lift him up because the money might drop and you might get the money. However, if the stone, uh, if a stone is plugged up a hole in a basket, uh, then you can move the basket as well. Why? Because the stone has become part of the basket. So if the stone would be in the basket, it would be another problem. If the stone, let's say, is, let's say there's a basket filled with fruit, filled with a lot of fruit, then it has a stone in it too. Now, if by spilling out the stone and the fruit, you're going to ruin the fruits, let's say they are wet grapes or berries, and uh, they're going to get soiled on the ground, so now you can still move the basket. Ah, it has a stone inside of it. The laws of muksa were not put in place where there's financial loss. So therefore, even though there's a stone in the basket, if the stone is part of the basket, it's okay. If it's separate, then you can, just, you can still move it because by spilling it out, you're going to ruin the fruit. Halacha Yudzayin, if you forgot the stone on top of a barrel, so you tilt over the barrel, the stone falls off. What if the barrel's on top of other barrels, and by tilting off the stone, you're going to break the other barrels? 
So then, you're allowed to move the barrel somewhere else and tilt it. The same applies if you forgot uh, money on your pillow. You can shake off your pillow, the money falls off before Shabbos. But if you intentionally left it on the barrel or on the pillow before Shabbos, now you cannot remove it. Even if they're no longer there, you can't use it. Because the pillow, the pillow and the barrel have now attained a new status. It's called a basis ladavar ha'asr. They became a base for something which is forbidden. You wanted it to be there. You've made now the pillow or the barrel itself have now attained the status of something which cannot be moved on Shabbos because they actively were there supporting something which cannot be moved on Shabbos. Okay. They used to add a stone, to the bottom of a bucket to give it some weight so it doesn't topple over. So now it depends. If that stone is fixed in the bucket such that it won't fall out when you fill it up, then it's part of the bucket. And you can, you can move it, no problem. But if not, the bucket is a buses, it's a base for something, for a stone, which is forbidden, and you can't move it either. You can't move the bucket or the stone, obviously not the stone, but the bucket becomes a buses. You can move a garment that's hanging on a reed. The reed, uh, uh, just don't touch the reed. You can take off the garment from it. Halacha yutes. Food that cannot be eaten cannot be moved. For example, miser has not been taken from it. Food that you did not take the tithing off, you can't eat. If you can't eat it, you can't move it. Even if only rabbinically obligated to take off this tithing, you cannot move it. Let's say a levy. The levy also has to give tithings a portion to the Kohen, if he didn't give off his portion to the Kohen, he cannot move, or you cannot move that item. It's forbidden. Um, let's say the portion given to the Kohen, it has a holiness to it. It became tame, it became impure. Now no one can eat it. The Kohen can't eat it, it's impure. You can't move it on Shabbos. Meister Shani, there's certain produce that you have to bring to Yerushalayim. If you don't want to bring it, you can transfer it onto money, you bring the money to Jerusalem. If you haven't done that, that produce can't be eaten. It has to be brought to Jerusalem and you cannot move it on Shabbos. But you can move demai. Demai, remember, that's the item. It's questionable. You're not sure if the tithings have been taken from it because, again, demai can be used. It can be given to a poor person and, uh, or, and uh, therefore can be moved. Also, if you have taken this Meiser Shani, this produce that has to be eaten in Yerushalayim, and you've redeemed it, which means you've now transferred it onto money. So now you have the money. Now you really, what you have to do is you have to, let's say you have $100 worth of produce, you have to give $100 plus a fifth, plus $20. plus. Let's say you only transferred it onto 100 you haven't given the 20 yet. Well, you can still eat that produce once you've at least transferred its value, even if you haven't added the extra fifth yet. Halacha chaf. Though a regular Jew cannot eat truma, it's only, this is the part given to the Kohen, he can move it, I, he can't eat it, but it can be eaten by a Kohen, so it can be moved by any Jew. You can even carry a container with truma in it. And it has truma and it has impure truma in it, the truma that can't be eaten at all. So long as the truma is not on the top and can't be spilled out without ruining it, remember, if it's somehow in there, if you could spill it out, if it's on the top and it can be spilled out, let's say it's nuts or almonds, they're not going to be ruined if you throw them on the floor, and the, the truma's on the top, so spill it out, pick up the truma, and then, you know, put it back in, or, 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 and then move along. But if you can't do that, then you can carry it. Uh, if you can do that, there's no reason to keep on carrying it. You can't carry the impure t- the truma for no reason. If you need to use the space that the container is occupying, and it's a container that has truma, and impure truma, then you can move it no matter what, because spilling it out is not going to help. You need to move it away, because you need to use the space it's occupying. Halacha chaf aleph. 21. 
Your intention can also make something permissible or not. So let's say before Shabbos you intended on sitting on a row of stones. Those stones have now assumed a productive identity on Shabbos. They now are no longer muksa. They're no longer set aside for building. They now become sitting stones. They can be moved. The same is true of palm leaves that were collected as fuel before Shabbos. You collected them as fuel, but before Shabbos you decided, you know what? I'm going to use them to sit on. You can move them, no problem. Now, you, you cannot move the straw on the mattress with your hand, but you can move it with your body. Why? Because it's set aside as a pile of straw. But if the straw is fit for animal use, animal food, we're going to talk about that in the next chapter, then you can even move it with your hand. Or if you set a sheet or a pillow on it before Shabbos, so that shows that you want to use this as a bed, so now you can even move it with your hand, the straw. The same applies to if you bring a container of dirt before Shabbos into your house. You designated a place and you've shown that you want to use it to cover, uh, your, cover things after you use the bathroom. It's not muksa. That dirt is no longer a, an, an unusable item. It's now been designated for a productive use on Shabbos. Halacha chav gimel. If you make a vessel usable on Shabbos, if you make a vessel unusable on Shabbos, it is as if you've destroyed it. So you cannot place it under a dripping candle. Why? Because the oil is going to drip on it. The oil is forbidden. As we've learned now, the, the vessel becomes forbidden because it's containing something which is forbidden. And now you've taken this vessel and you've rendered it unusable. So you've destroyed the vessel. Therefore, you cannot place it under a chicken to catch the egg. The egg is forbidden on Shabbos. You can cover it with a vessel. You can, you can cover anything that's forbidden with a vessel. That doesn't change the status of the vessel because you can always take the vessel right off. You can place a vessel under a leaking container. It's leaking of water. And once it's filled with water, you can go spill it out and put it back, providing that the water is at least fit for bathing. If it's not, you can't. Because you've, again, transformed the vessel into basically a container for garbage. Into a, a container for garbage. But if you did leave it to get filled up, you did, you did leave it, uh, to get filled up. It's called a graf shel re'i. We're going to learn that term, a vessel for garbage. We're going to get to that term soon. If you did fill it up with putrid water, you can still move it. Even with the unfit water in it, you are allowed to move it. You can't create a graf shel re'i. You cannot create this container of disgusting, repulsive uh, material, but you can move it on Shabbos, which we'll learn shortly. Halacha chafhei. If a vessel contain, if a vessel, and it has in it, tevel. Tevel is food that has not had its tithing separated from it. So that's forbidden to touch on Shabbos, we said, right? Now, it broke. You're allowed to place a new container underneath it. Ah, you just made a basis l'davar ha'asr. You've just created a base for something which is prohibited. Says the Ramam, no. Because even though you're not allowed to separate the tithings on Shabbos, if you were to separate the tithing on Shabbos, it would actually render that food edible on Shabbos. So theoretically, in an in a, in a forbidden way, you're allowed to permit that food from being eaten, and therefore you're allowed to put something underneath it which can contain it. You can place a vessel to catch sparks because they don't have a substance. It doesn't render the kli, the vessel that you're putting there, unusable. You're not destroying it halachically. If a beam breaks and now it's leaning, you, can lean, you cannot lean a couch, uh, put a couch or a bed to support the leaning beam because what's going is the weight of the beam is going to make the couch or the bed unusable. Now it can't be used on Shabbos. You've destroyed the couch or the bed. Unless there's enough room to be able to move out the couch and the bed, then you're okay. Also, you can, sp- you can spread mats out over stones and beehives on Shabbos as protection from rain or, or from sun, so long as your intention is not to trap the bees. You haven't changed the use of the mat. The mat can be removed at any time. 
And you can turn a basket over to allow the chickens to climb up and down on it. The minute the chickens are not on it, it's completely usable and it's completely permissible. You haven't changed the status of the basket at all. Halacha chav vav. If an animal fell into a pit or a waterway and it can't get out on its own, so ideally you should just throw down whatever food and whatever it needs to spend Shabbos there. And once Shabbos is over, you get it out. But if you can't do that, so you're allowed to throw down mattresses and pillows and allow it to use it to stepping to get out of it. Even though in so doing you've made those items unusable on Shabbos, you've halakhically destroyed them. Says the Ram, these laws do not apply at Sar Balechaim. When there's a pain, when the pain of animals is at stake, these laws don't apply. Eh, but you still cannot get it out by hand. That's a more serious rabbinic prohibition, and that is not suspended for the pain for Tsar Balachayim. You also cannot lift an animal or bird into a courtyard, but you can push it so that it gets there. And lastly, you can help calves or ponies as they walk, but you cannot hold chickens that way, because if you hold them, what's going to happen is they're going to try to get away, and you might by accident tear off its wing in the process. You can push them along until they do enter the chicken coop. And this concludes chapter 25. Shisha ve'esrim 26. So remind ourselves of Kli Shemalachbe Le'isr and Kli Shemalachbe Le'heter. A vessel which is used for permitted purposes, which you can move for anything, and a vessel which is, you, which, which is designated for use for forbidden purposes, remember the mill or the grinder, that you cannot move if you're trying to protect it. Here we go, this is the last chapter of Muktza. The Ramam is going to go through many other things that we can and cannot move on Shabbos. All the tools that belong to the weaving, the weaving loom, the looms, the sticks, they're all independent vessels. They can be moved just as a klisha malachta as any vessel that's designated for a forbidden purpose. The only part of the weaving loom that cannot be moved are the big beams at the top and the bottom because they're actually part of the weaving loom itself. They're not vessels on their own. And the same is true of the pillars of the loom. Um, they are very heavy and they're going to leave a hole and you might stuff up that hole. Halacha base, brooms, brooms that are made from the, uh, date, date tree branches. They are a klisha malachte They are a vessel that's designated for permissible use because you're allowed to sweep. In chapter Chafalaf, Parah Chafalaf, you learned that. Uh, bricks that are leftovers from building, they are a Kalisha Malachta Laheter. They're used now for permissible purposes. They used to be forbidden, but now they're left over. They, used to be, they can be used to sit on because they're smooth and they're straight. But if they were piled backed up, that means that they are, ah, they, they want to use them to build further. You can't move them. They're going to be now designated for building. Halacha Gimel, you have small piece of broken pottery. Because it can act as a cover, as we said, you can even move it less than four amas in a public domain. There's no vessel there to cover. But since it can be used theoretically as a cover for another vessel in a courtyard, you can't get it to the courtyard on Shabbos. Therefore, you can carry it even less than four, obviously less than four amas in a public domain. The same is true of a plug of a barrel, the barrel broken. You can still move the plug because it's fit to stuff another barrel, unless it's been placed in the garbage before Shabbos, and that shows that you do not want to use it again. If the vessel became unusable, it's not broken, it's just unusable, now you cannot break off any part of it to use as a cover or support because you're taking off the whole vessel is now an unusable vessel. You can bring three smooth stones with you that fit into your hand into the bathroom to wipe yourself, to clean yourself. They didn't have toilet paper. This is what they used to use. You cannot bring clods of earth into the bathroom because it'll come apart and that's not a way to clean oneself. 
You can carry these stones onto the roof if that's where he's using the bathroom. If it rains on the stones and they get sunken in the mud over there, so long as you can tell the location of where they are, you can stick your hand into the mud and you can retrieve them, not a problem. Um, if you find excrement on a stone, you know that it was designated for wiping and you can move it because otherwise you don't know. Is it a stone designated for that or not? Otherwise it's muksa. Halakha, hey, if you have a choice between cleaning yourself with, a, with pottery or with a stone, so uh, you might cut yourself on the piece of pottery, so you use the stone. Um, if, it's a, if the piece of pottery... Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, if the uh, piece is, if the piece of the shard is from a vessel, so it's smooth, then better to use it and not use the stone because the stone is muktza. The same is true of you have a choice between grass and a rock. So if the grass is soft, use it. The rock is muktza. If not, then the then it uh, can be dangerous to wipe oneself with, and you should use the rock. Worn out mats, halachavov. They are a klisha malachti laheter because they can be used to cover excrement. But worn out garments that are not even three finger breadths by feet, three finger finger breadths large, you can't move them. They aren't usable even for a patch for poor people. Pieces of broken oven, they are like a klisha malachti laheter. They're like broken pottery. A kira, remember the kira, it's a, a three-legged oven. It has an oven, it's an oven. If one of the legs is broken, you cannot move it because you might be tempted to fix the oven. Halacha zayin. A ladder, it's such a big thing, it's not considered a keli, you cannot move it. But if it's, small, it's a small ladder to take you up and down to the chicken coop, then you can move it, just don't move it from one chicken coop to the other. That's what you normally do during the weekday. A stick that has a hook at the end to harvest the olives, that's a keli. Shemalachli le'isur. A stick that has, the stick that's been made as a bolt, so you took a piece of wood, it's been made as a bolt to lock the door, that's a keli. Shemalachli le'heter. So this, again, those laws that we've talked about in the last chapter apply differently to these different items. Halacha ches. If a door has a hinge on it and the door fell off, and now you want to use this door as a covering, like a door to an entrance of an area, but you don't hang it back up. You just put it on the floor and you can drag it across. So the question is, is it a board, which is mukta, not can't be used, it's not a vessel, or is it a door? So so long as it's connected to the door that you're putting it to, the new area, you can move it to open and close the doorway. If it's not connected, you can't. But if you put it on this new area and it's not on the ground, you somehow manage to lift it off the ground so that it's not on the ground, then even if it's not attached, it's obvious that it's being used as a door and it's no longer just a piece of wood, just a piece of material. The same applies to other mats and shrubs that you use for the same purposes, the same thing. If it's connected to the doorway, then it's good. If it's on the floor, if it's higher up, then it's even if it's not connected to the doorway, it's no longer considered just a shrub or a mat. It's now considered a door. So going on the same thing, let's say a door is made of one panel and it's not hanging by a hinge. So what makes it a door? It's just a piece of wood. So if there's nothing, no threshold underneath the door that shows that it's a door, you can't move it. If it does have a threshold, then you can and the same is true if you have a bolt. A bolt is just a piece of wood. If it has a knob at the end of the bolt, that shows that it's designated as a bolt. It's not just simply a piece of wood, which cannot be moved, and now it can be moved. So halacha yud, if it doesn't have this knob on it, so not just a piece of wood, uh-huh. but if it's hanging from the door, then you know that it has a, or it has a string on it that is used to tie it to the door, then you know both of these show that it's indeed a bolt. It's not just a piece of wood. But if the door has the string, but the bolt has nothing on it. It's just sitting in the corner and you use it whenever you want to uh, close the door. It just looks like a regular piece of wood and it's not a keli. It's not a vessel. It's not a utensil and it can't be moved on Shabbos.
Halacha yid alef. A menorah, big or small, that's made of many parts, because it comes apart, you may come to put it back together, you cannot move it. But if it just looks like it comes in many parts, it has grooves, it looks like it many parts. So now there's a difference. If it's big and heavy, normally it would be made of many parts, you cannot move it because other people are going to think that this menorah is made of many parts and you're moving something which is made of many parts. They're going to think you're allowed to do that. But if it's small, even though it looks like it's made of many parts, it just has the grooves, you're allowed to move it. Halacha yud is a shoe that's still on the mold, you can move it. Uh, you can open a press if it's a press that people own in their homes, a press that presses garments, two pieces of metal, presses it out, you can open it up to take out the garments. But you cannot close the press on Shabbos to press the garments. It might take a long time. It might only be ready after Shabbos. If it's a press that's used in a professional laundry mat, then you can't even open it up because this has the same law as we said last chapter, something that's valuable, it's del- dedica- delicate. It's only used by professionals. And therefore, they wouldn't want anybody moving it or touching it in his muksa. The same is true of the shearings of wool. Their owner is very particular about them. So they're set aside for a use, they can't be moved. Hides that have not been processed, they can be moved, whether they are owned by an individual or a professional, because they're not as delicate and people aren't particular about them. Now we talk about this graf shel re'i in last chapter. Here we're going to define it. Anything is dis- disgusting. It's excrement or vomit. If they're bothering people, they can be moved out to a garbage. They can be moved out to the bathroom. This is known in halacha as a graf shel re'i. It's known as a container of disgusting things, of repulsive things. If it's somewhere else and it doesn't bother anybody, so you can take a vessel and cover it so that kids don't get into it and get dirty, but if it's not near you, you cannot move it. If someone has spit on the ground and they're walking as they're going, they can cover it, uh, so long as they're not really intending to really get it down into the ground. You can move a pan uh, that's used to create warmth. It doesn't have any fire in it. It just has ash in it. Even though it has a little bit of broken pieces, which are wood, that are considered muksa, but it has the status of a graf shell re'i. It has the status of something containing something repulsive and it can be moved. But you can't actually create a graf shell re'i on Shabbos. We talked about that in the last chapter. You cannot create something, a disgusting area, if it was already there. Or if someone went ahead and created it anyway, it can be moved, but it shouldn't be created to begin with. Halacha yudalit. Food is never muksa. Even if it was indeed set aside, it was oil that was oozing underneath the bottom of the olive press that had been pressed for a while, it's not set aside. Or dates or almonds that were set aside as merchandise. Or grain in a warehouse. It's never muksa. Food is always, can be eaten, can be moved. Except for dried figs and raisins. You see, while they're drying out, during that process for a little bit, they aren't edible. In the beginning they're edible, and at the end they're edible. In the beginning they're not edible. Muksa. An uncovered barrel or an open watermelon, even though they cannot be eaten, they're dangerous. It's a dangerous, uh, things might have gotten in there, snakes, scorpions, venom. They can be moved so that others do not eat from them. Likewise, an amateur amulet. When we talked about, we said you cannot carry an amateur amulet on Shabbos. You can carry a professional amulet, but you're allowed to move an amulet that is not made by a professional. Oil in a candle or a bowl that was burning when Shabbos came in. Remember, it became muktzah when Shabbos came in, so it cannot be moved. Now, even though, halacha yud even though we just learned that you can move all grain and wine in storage house because food never becomes muktzah, but you can't empty the entire storage house. 
on Shabbos. Unless you're doing, you need the space for a mit- mit- mitzvah. You need to use it for guests, to house guests. You need to use it for a place of Torah study. Then each person takes out four or five boxes at a time. You clear the whole thing. You shouldn't sweep the floor because we've learned that in the chapter, uh, I think it was 21, because that might reveal some of the crevices and you might want to fill up the ground. Um, if you aren't using it for a mitzvah, then you can still clear out a path, but you cannot clear out the whole warehouse. Not only human food, animal food as well. If it's for an animal that's common to be found near civilization in that locale, even if it's a wild animal, domesticated animal, a bird, it can be moved on Shabbos. So here are the examples that Ramam gives. Dried out turmus beans. Goats eat them, so it's okay. You have fresh turmus. No one eats fresh turmus. It's not edible for animals. It's bitter. Chatzav, that's eaten by deer, so it's okay. Mustard seeds are eaten by uh, pigeons. Uh, bones are eaten by dogs. Um, the same is true of all peels and seeds. So long as an animal will eat them, you're okay. But otherwise, you eat the edible part and now you throw away the rest. You can't move them you can't, if they're not edible for an animal. Rotten meat. Uh, it says that is eaten by animals. That they, wild animals eat that. Raw meat. Whether it's, whether it's fresh raw meat or whether it's been salted and aged. Um, um, it hasn't been cooked. It's salted. People eat that. Salted fish, that's raw, people also eat that. But people do not eat raw fish that has not been salted. I guess they didn't eat sushi in those days. So therefore it can't be eaten by humans, and therefore it is, cannot be moved. Halacha yudzayin, if the species aren't found nearby civilizations, then the foods of those species are muksa. So for example, broken glass that ostriches can digest, and it maybe even cuts their food down there, it helps. Or bundles of vines uh, that elephants eat, or some loof, some type of vegetable that are eaten by ravens, you can't move them because uh, ostriches and, and elephants and ravens are not around human civilizations. Halacha yud ches. Items that are used both for animal food and for creating a fire. So here your intention makes the difference. If you meant them to be animal food, then you can move them. If you meant them to be used as fuel for a fire, you cannot move them. Here are the examples that Ramam gives. Ramam says bundles of straw, of twigs, of sia, of pua, of uh, hyssop, of kuranus, uh, type of uh, aminta, type of mint, geifan, other types of herbs. These are things which are both animal foods and used for fuel for fires. So your intention makes a difference here. Halacha yutes. You cannot shovel food from in front of an animal while he's fattening it, whether it's in a, it's a container, whether it's in a container made of earthenware. You can, you can also not move aside food from animal food because you don't want it, because you don't want it to get soiled. Um, why? Because you might come, you want to move it away from the animals, the food, because you don't want it to get dirty. You might come to smooth out the surface, and in so doing, you might come to fill up the holes. You can take food away from a donkey and give it to an ox, but you can take away, you cannot take away food from an ox once it, it, it becomes soiled by its uh, saliva and uh, it's not fit. No, no other animals would eat it. And the same is true of leaves that have become disgustingly repulsive smell. Animals won't eat them, therefore you can't move them. Uh, so a stick that's used to hang fish from, it can't be moved, it smells. The stick that's used to hang meat from, you're allowed to move. And the same true of any circumstance, if it's repulsive, it cannot be moved. And now we continue this chapter and conclude this chapter by talking about the laws of a dead body on Shabbos. We said that a dead body is muksa. But nonetheless, you're allowed to smear the body and wash it, providing that the body doesn't move. Because these smearings and washings help it not decompose. You can also move, it, move out the mattress underneath it, which is retaining the heat, and you can pl- uh, place them on sand, because that's a cool surface, it's done to release the warmth. You can also bring other cooling materials or metal items that cool down the body. 
You can stuff up the orifices of the body, so the holes of the body, so that uh, air doesn't get in. And you can tie up the jaw of the body, just don't move it, to ensure it doesn't open even more. You can't close it. You cannot, though, close up the eyes of a body on Shabbos. Halacha chafalov, let's say the body's in the sun, or if a fire breaks out, there's a body there. So you're allowed to place something permissible on the body and move it, like a child or bread, and you can move the body. If you can't find a child or a bed, you can move, it can be moved to save it from fire because we're scared um, that if we don't let you move it, uh, then you're going to extinguish the fire. You're going to violate a public, a, a biblical prohibition because people are very concerned and they get very nervous when it comes to their loved one. And this is the reason that we make the exception to begin with about placing a child or a bread. It's only for this case, only because of the exception made for a dead body. Halacha chavbeis. Let's say the body's in the sun. There's no place to move the body to. If they want to. So the Raman gives us a creative solution of how you can create a tent for shade without violating the prohibition of creating a tent. Here's how you do it. Two people come on either side of the body and they sit down. Since it's too hot, they have to think to sit on the floor. So they bring couches to sit down. But it's still too hot. So they bring mats to cover them and they spread them over the couches that protects them from the sun. Then they leave. They lift up the mat. So now you have uh, a mat on two couches. You've created two partitions with a roof that hangs over them and that protects the body from the heat. If the corpse is creating a stench in the house, which is disrespectful both to the body and to the people in the house, you're allowed to move the body out into a Carmelist. It's a rabbinic prohibition. Indeed, says Rambam, human dignity is of such importance that it even overrides a biblical negative prohibition. The Torah tells us, in this week's Torah portion, we just read it, that you have to listen to our sages. We're obligated to listen to the sages. It's a mitzvah from the Torah. But human dignity would override that mitzvah in this situation. If the people have another place to go, they can't, carry, they can't move the body out, they should leave, and they leave the body there. And this concludes Perek Chavav, chapter 26.